Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, we are coming to the great uh, final uh, first bit of the gospel. We'll have a look at that. So verse 1 and to verse 20 this morning. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah has appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew uh, by themselves to a town called uh, Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for, for all the crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others still that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what, do you, what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Keep your Bibles open to Luke as we are trying to work our way through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you are inviting us to come to know yourself through your Son. And we pray that as we look at your word, you may enable us to arrive at that glorious uh, conviction. So we pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. This little section um, is, uh, is one of those that very, I think Phil has been kind of punting this whole idea, that we've heard this so often, and it's um, important to try and, you know, use your imagination, really. Uh, to figure out what is going on. Um, and specifically, this whole idea of being able to listen carefully to what you hear. It's a very interesting thing. Uh, one of the most amazing times when I've experienced somebody who has listened and studied something carefully uh, was actually in the army. Uh, we were on uh, border patrol, 
uh, out in the sticks somewhere. I don't even can't remember exactly even where. And uh, there was just uh, sand and baobab trees all over the place. Uh, and we were lying there in the, uh, under the trees and kind of, you know, trying to fight a war that there was nobody around at that stage. Um, and I had this guy uh, lying there, and um, he, would, um, he would be drawing pictures of birds. His name was Donald Guthrie. And I said to him, gee, what are you doing? I mean, and beautiful drawings, pencil drawings of these birds. And he says, no, um, what I do is I listen to the birds chirping. And then I know what kind of a bird it is and whether it is male or female. And then I draw them. <laughs> so it was unbelievable. I said, no way. There's no way you can do that. And he kind of lied there and he was listening. He says, you hear that? He says, okay, that is the female. And this is what she looks like. And he would draw it. And then he say, there's the male. And he answers. And that's where it looks different. The feathers are like a bit of here and there. So that takes a bit of effort, isn't it? I'm sure to be able to not only draw, but to be able to hear so well that you can see. And that really is what's been going on in these last couple of chapters of Luke's Gospel. As Jesus is speaking, and he is also giving images, pictures, to Israel, so that they can come to understand who he really is. So they can have a clear view of who he is. So everything he says and everything he does, in one sense, is like an accumulated picture that he's trying to set before them so that they can actually come to know who he actually is. And you've seen this thing becoming more and more important. Last week we actually saw it specifically said, be careful how you hear, because the good news is if you listen carefully, you'll get more. But if you don't, the danger is you will lose what you had or what you thought you had. And Jesus, as he comes to Israel, he is saying increasingly, you have to listen carefully so that you may make the right deduction, so that you may have the right picture, in other words, in front of you. And here in this section, Jesus is kind of starting to drive home this thing. So what you'll just flip over to chapter 9 and verse 51. Uh, So what Luke actually does, Luke is broken up into two sections. The first nine chapters up to verse 50 is Jesus coming into the world. And then in Luke 9.51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolute set out for Jerusalem. And there's the big turnover. So the first nine chapters is all about Jesus coming into the world and presenting himself to the world so that the world will make up their mind about who he is. And then from 9 onwards to the end of Luke, uh, it is Jesus going resolutely to Jerusalem because he's on his way back to heaven. He's going to leave. Um, So this is where he's driving. And the first lesson of Luke is being driven to a head um, in this first, uh, uh, this passage is starting to introduce it. So chapter 9 to verse 50, Jesus is really moving and shoving and forcing, in one sense, the issue so that people will come to a clearer understanding of who he is. So in this section, there are two, three little pictures again that Jesus... So Jesus is communicating at multiple levels. I mean, that's nice to have Jesus around, because he can do things that nobody else can do in order to make sure that they understand who he is. 
And so in this section, Jesus is driving home for the disciples, for those who have been listening. Now, we know we've seen it last week. The disciples, the 12, that kind of features very strongly here, Jesus is specifically zooming in for them because he knows he's going to leave and these guys are going to have to carry on with the ministry. So they need to be very clear about who he is. Even though he wants everybody to understand who he is, he's got to make sure that these guys have a proper understanding of who he is. So he's zooming in on them, and he's kind of pushing the issue uh, forward so that they will come to the conclusion of chapter 9 and verse 20, when Peter finally says, you are God's Christ, or you are the Christ of God, or as my translation says, you are God's Messiah. So it's quite an interesting thing. You've got to actually, in one sense, put yourself outside of yourself and look at the story because in one sense uh, the, the, the message uh, is important for you yet the what is going on is specifically designed for the disciples of Jesus Christ himself so here in this story very quickly verses 9 uh, chapter 9 verses 1 to 9 you have Jesus specifically now doing something through his disciples and he gives them the authority and the power that he has just displayed in the previous section. Remember the f- four stories we looked at last week where Jesus had power over nature, Jesus had power over demons, Jesus had power over sickness, and Jesus got power over death. Jesus now specifically calls them, verse, uh, chapter 9 and verse 1, when Jesus had called the twelve, so that's very specific, together he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So here he's saying, I am now delegating by power to the 12 disciples and I'm sending them on a short mission trip. A kind of a two-side thing. One, I'm trying to help them to know who I am. And the other, I'm making a very serious call to the rest of Israel. Something weird is going on. Something very important is going on. And so he sends them out. So if you look at the passage, uh, there's quite a bit about the preparation uh, that Jesus is doing. He hands to them all authority and power over demons and sickness. He tells them that they have to be urgent about this. So, I mean, everything they do. So their, their, their clothes, their behavior tells you this is urgent. So look at what he picks it up there in verse 3. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. I mean, so these half-naked people running into, into a village and shouting and screaming, the kingdom of God is here, and healing people left, right, and center, and driving out demons. I mean, that's what it looks like. It's really weird. I mean, they come, and they don't have, they're not going to stay. They are on the move. There's an urgency and a not settling down this must happen. You must be ready. You must get yourself ready. So that's very important. So if you have a, a bit of an Old Testament background, you can fill in some of the pictures already. Can you hear this? Where has this happened before? So you've got to just kind of have it in the back of your head. All right? So this will know how well you know and how you've listened to the Scriptures. So Jesus is doing something. He's reenacting things. And he's stirring people to make a, a decision. So everything he does here is quite interesting. So the details are quite important, and it'll be interesting to see what picture you come up with. So he gives us almost dots on the page. You know those things you have when you get a kid? You get those color-in books. You've got these dots. Fortunately, the dots are numbered. You know, so you move from one to there, and eventually you draw a unicorn or a whatever it is that you draw. Um, 
often these dots are given to us and they are combined in such a way that when you look at them and you connect all the dots, the picture actually becomes much clearer of what's going on. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's throwing dots out to Israel because they should know what is going on. So if you feel a little bit lost because you don't know your Old Testament, don't worry too much. We'll get to that and hopefully it will push you back into the Old Testament to go and try and see what is going on. And so he says, it's not only urgent, but it's very serious. So what you do with this message, how you receive these messengers that I'm sending out with all authority, and they preach and they proclaim the kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus, and they have the power to show it. They demonstrate this kingdom in the two ways, the sickness and the demon uh, possession. Uh, If people do not, if they do accept it, stay there until you've covered the whole town, and then you move to the next town. If they do not accept you, then you do what Jews would do to prove to you that you are not part of them. They would take the dust off their feet and show that you are no longer part of us. So this is a very important, serious message. It is either you take it or you leave it. And if you don't, you're out. I mean, that's the imagery that he's trying to drive home in the details. Um, And then in verse 6... The only thing we are told, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to know what happened? There's no recollection of any sermon they preached. There's no actual story of any demon they drove out. No actual recollection of any person they've really healed. So we can see that Luke's concern is not for us to know the details of those things, but to see the details of what they were doing. You see the difference? So you've got to actually, it's a little bit tricky to read this, isn't it? It's not that straightforward. So verse 6, so they went out from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So okay, this has happened. And it's like the whole Galilee area where Jesus grew up. So everywhere where these guys are going, people are being healed, demons are being driven out, and this message is being proclaimed. And you see these guys kind of running around. <laughs> and loads of activity is happening. Things are being stirred up, and you've got to make up your mind. The effect is described for us from verses 7 to verse 9, but specifically through the eyes of Herod, the Tetrarch. Now, this is Herod. Herod the Great ruled the entire area of Israel. When he died, he had four sons, and Herod the Tetrarch, meaning the ruler of a quarter, that's really what it means, he was ruling the area of Galilee, and he was a very, very sly man. Jesus will later on call him that fox. Because he was always conniving to try and stay in power. And uh, he was always wanting life to be the way that he wants it. He's very very different from us, obviously. Um, But he was the ruler of Israel, supposedly one of the rulers. Um, But he was a pretty bad ruler, a very selfish man. Um, And it tells us here that he was perplexed. Actually, the word is that he was completely perplexed. He was actually shaking in his boots a little bit. He didn't wear boots, sandals, I take it. Um, and he was saying, something weird is going on, because listen to the testimony, and we're going to pick that up just now. Listen to verse 7. Now Herod the Tetra heard about all that was going on. So there was just people being healed, demons driven out, and these guys are running across the whole of Galilee. That's his area of rule. And these guys have got powers and abilities, and stuff is happening, and he does cannot explain what the heck is going on. Neither can anybody else explain what's going on. So look at why they... Some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Now why would, jo- why would Herod be so perplexed? 
Next verse tells us, But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. So, when the great prophet of the Old Testament came, John, and said to him, You are not allowed to remarry, Herod. Herod said, Oh, fantastic. I like that message. Let's cut off your head. Nobody tells me what I am allowed or not allowed to do. So here he has killed God's prophet. And the superstition and the idea was that when you have somebody who can do more than what John has done, then maybe he's come back from the dead. So if I've killed him the first time around and I thought death was going to solve the problem, now I've got a bigger problem because someone from the dead has been raised and he is now entering this world. What will I do to him? How could I rule over that? Can you see the basic problem that he had? He was one of these guys who looked out for himself. Now you have to know Luke well, because did you notice the change in view of who Jesus is that is recorded for us in verses 7 to 9? So if you go back and read Luke again, so this afternoon when you've got nothing to do, you lie under your blankie, you've got your cup of soup, you take Luke out, and you go and read Luke again. And you'll notice that when Jesus starts to do his ministry, people start to ask questions. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is at his hometown, and his home people say, isn't this Joseph's son? Hmm. Something weird going on here. I, we thought he was Joseph's son. There's the first reaction. Later on, Jesus heals people and drives our demons, and people say, what authority is this? What authoritative word is this that can actually drive our demons? Next people say, Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees say, who is this that can forgive sins? You see how the, the question starts to change. Is this not Joseph's son? What powerful words, what magic words are being used here that has got so much power? Then the question becomes, who is this that can say these things? By chapter 7, Jesus raises the daughter of nine, and uh, the people say, ah, he must be a great prophet. You see how it's going? They're starting to answer the question. Is it Joseph's son? What is this power? Who is this? This is a prophet. All right? But now, things have escalated beyond the prophet himself. He has the ability to give power to others. And they run around and do miraculous things. And so, the only conclusion they can come to is that this is not just a prophet. This is a prophet from beyond death that has come back to life. Because the power that is at work here is much greater than anything they've ever seen. No other prophet had the ability to hand over his power and his word to any other human being. You see, you see the logic of the story. We miss that sometimes because you know, we just want to know how are we going to cope tomorrow morning when we wake up? How are we going to cope with Monday? This whole story is saying, how do you explain this? This is, okay, we think it's possible that all of them, Elijah has come back to life. John the Baptist has either come back. Oh, one of the other great prophets from long ago has come back to life. Because this is weird. We do not have any other way of explaining what is going on. Do you get the drift of where the story is going? All right. So that's how far we've come. So people are trying to wrestle with this thing. Who is this man that can do these things? And so verses 10 to verse um, 
17, we have Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I just want to highlight one or two of the things out of the story. Interestingly enough, they come back, they report, Jesus says, let's go for a break. The crowds just keep on coming, and Jesus' reaction is that he welcomes them, he teaches them, and he heals them. Jesus has got compassion on the crowds. Now, we'll come back to why that is so important. Wonderfully, the 12 disciples has compassion on the people and say, Jesus, the people are hungry and we're out in the remote area. It's kind of a desert area. Won't you please send the people away because they need food? So they are concerned for the crowds. Something that Herod the Tetrarch had no concern for. He had no concern for the people. He had only a concern for himself. So you can see the, the subtle little stories flowing through. So they want Jesus to do something. Jesus then fantastically says to him, why, why don't you give them something? Did you not just came back having been endowed with great power to preach and to heal and to restore, so you give them something. I have given you authority. They then look around and say, gee, there are 5,000 people here and we only have two, uh, two bits of fish and five loaves. There's no possible, unless we run into the towns and go and buy. Uh, and that's why some people believe Jesus was very rich, because he could buy food for 5,000 people. But they are perplexed by this. They fail. They cannot actually do anything about it. Amazingly, Jesus does not yet do what he's done when they were in the storm, when he says, where's your faith? Interesting. He does not scold them. He doesn't rebuke them. He says, cool, make everybody sit down, sit in groups of 50. Does that ring a bell for anybody? We'll get back to that, hopefully, at some stage. He makes them sit in the groups of 50. He then prays symbolically. Both his action and what he says is he looks up to heaven and he prays and then he takes the bread and he keeps on just handing out bread and fish and bread and fish to the disciples and they hand it on to the people. So Jesus is trying to train his disciples about who he is and about what their role will be in feeding the people of Israel. So 5,000 people. So it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you've seen sports guys, when they've scored the try, some of them go, thank you, God, you enabled me to score the try, isn't it? I mean, it's great. Or you win the long jump or whatever. There's a recognition that this is God, that I got this from God. It's kind of, a, kind of an open public display of thankfulness and recognition. I'm still waiting for the guy to do that before he scores the try. Jesus says, Father, I pray to you, and then he does it. It's not after I've done it, I thank you that you've done it. You know what I'm saying? You can see that Jesus stands out at every single level. He's in a different category from everybody else. He says, I know you're going to do it, and then he does it. Bam. He doesn't say thank you afterwards, which is good. I mean, it's great to say thank you afterwards, but it's a recognition. You're not like Jesus. He's in a different category altogether. And then you've gotten this funny little verse 17. He says, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that was left over. Weird detail. Who cares how many baskets of stuff was left over? Unless you're trying to say something. Are you trying to get a picture of what's going on? So here you find there's an abundance of... Of so much does Jesus have to give that there's left over and there's 12 baskets left over, 12, 12 tribes of Israel. 
I am the one who comes and provides for my people. I am, in one sense, the true shepherd of my people. I am the one who can give all that. And we'll pick it up just now again. So you can see this is the whole thing happening in this little story. Very, very important story. And then in the next section, uh, Luke tells us, while Jesus was praying, very important. I think Jesus was begging the Father at this stage. Father, open their eyes so that they may read the signs right, so that they may arrive at the right conclusion. Then Jesus says to them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, well, we've heard this before. You wonder why is he repeating it? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others uh, still one of the prophets from long ago come back to life. Why does Jesus ask them, what do the people say about me? I mean, doesn't he know? Of course he doesn't know. But why is he asking them? We've just been told the story that is now recalling the rumors and the stuff running around in Galilee because of what is. Why does he ask his disciples, what did the people say I am? See if they've heard. What else? Any other options? Recognize him in what sense? So there are more than one view of Jesus floating around. And Jesus is not scared to say he knows there are more than one view of him floating around. Very important for us to get that little bit of detail. Jesus is not saying, you must know who I am, otherwise I am going to... He says, what is the view about me that is out there? Have you heard people's recollection, people's interpretation, people's understanding, what are they? What are people saying? Who are people saying I am? It is very interesting, isn't it? It's not forcing them. It's asking them. Jesus is open. He says, who do you say I am? Who do the people say? Well, people got all these ideas. So Jesus says, okay, so who do you say I am? You have been with me. I've shown you all these things. I've been actually praying for you. Who do you say I am? And Peter then says that you are the Christ of God or you are God's Messiah. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus does not want people to be forced to tell them what to believe. He's asking you, what is your analysis of the evidence and who do you say I am? That's so important in our culture, isn't it? Look at all the facts and explain all the facts by the answer that you arrive at. That's really what he's saying to them. Even though you need supernatural intervention, that's why I guess he's praying for them, to be able to put the facts together. But the facts is available for everybody. It's open. It's public. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing secret about the facts of who I am and what I've been doing and what I'm up to. So, in the light of all the other alternatives about who I am, who do you say I am? Do you hear what he's saying? That's so important for us today as well. I mean, people grow up in church and so what? You just believe Jesus is the Messiah. But it means absolutely nothing. You never looked at the facts. You're not convinced in your heart. You just say it because the church says that's what you're supposed to say. The Dumini shouted there from the front. You must believe this. Yeah, okay, I believe it. But have you actually weighed all the evidence and in the light of all the other views about Jesus, have you arrived 
at a conclusion. What is your conclusion? What do you say? Who do you say I am? I think that's fascinating. I think that's one of the most important things we have to do with the world today when we go out and take the gospel out to them. Stop forcing them and judging them and dismissing them and saying, you are going to go to hell because you don't know. Give them the facts. And then weigh those facts and then explain who he is in the light of those facts. That's very important to us, isn't it? Don't just believe Jesus is the Messiah because the church says so. Jesus here gives an enormous amount of evidence and say, now you make the right deduction. God does not want to override your ability to reason and to think and to make deductions. He wants to engage you in doing that so that you may arrive at it. Because if you arrive at it out of your own heart, then you'll know. These are the reasons why saying that Jesus is a great prophet doesn't make sense. And there are millions among millions of people who still believe Jesus is a great prophet. Does that conclusion fit with the facts? That's what you've got to ask yourself. Does it make sense? Is Jesus a great moral teacher? Is that who he is? Does that make sense? Is he a good man? Does that make sense of who he is? Or is he, like he's saying here, the Messiah? Because there's this one person that the Old Testament has been predicting that no one has come up with, and that is God's anointed Messiah. It's there in the Old Testament. Everywhere in the Old Testament. He comes and he seeps through the cracks. God is going to raise up somebody else greater than me, says Moses. He's going to do what I have done and more than what I have done. And the story keeps on rolling. And so the question is, who is this? Is it maybe that person that God has been speaking about? And Peter says, yeah, I think you are. You are God's Messiah, not Israel's Messiah. You are not the Messiah we want. We are the Messiah God wants. You see how different that is? He's not going to fulfill my agenda for my life. He will fulfill God's agenda for his life. Now, they're going to get a massive shock. Next week we'll see that. They still don't get it quite. What kind of a Messiah is, but that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who's got all the power to heal and raise, that is for sure. There is no other explanation for who this man is than he's the Messiah. And yet, as we say, they will find some real shock. So just to help you this morning, I take it, the wonderful thing is that Jesus is praying. I think Jesus is still praying for people today. Father, let them see the realities of who I am. Through the words of the apostles that I'm going to appoint so that they may declare who I am to the world. That's why we have Luke in the first place. Luke traveled with Paul, and he kind of did the investigation, and they said, I looked at all the facts. I'm state giving you all the facts. I'm putting it together for you. You must read it, and you must come to the place where you make up your mind about who this person, Jesus Christ, is. That's why we have it in the first place. And I think Jesus is still doing that, and he's preparing these guys, and we'll see that as the story goes on, trying to help them. And now he's going to use them. So that we ourselves today, we can sit and evaluate and we can take it to our friends. What facts do you have about Jesus? How do you understand those facts? So just very briefly, I've given you there some helpful Old Testament background. I think that will help you. So this whole thing is a reenactment of the Exodus event. And there's a lot of detail there. So I'm just going to give you 
How much time do we have? Two minutes. Two minutes. Just give you a couple of tasters. Huh? Where's it? Phil's tasters. Just get. And then you can go and read it and you can go and find it. A lot of what's going on here is condensed experience from Exodus 3 to 18. God calls Moses and Aaron and gives them power and a message that he's come to save his people. And so they go and they play with Pharaoh and shows the power of God and the message, let my people go. I have come to save my people. There's the similarity. Israel has to come together on that great day before the last uh, 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 great miracle or tragedy, however you read it, where the firstborn will die. And they all have to be in haste. You've got to be ready to move. You are, cannot settle down. You've got to move. You see what he's saying? Tell these people they've got to move. This message is coming and you've got to move. He's just reenacting the whole idea of where they are going. So here you find power delegated, a message of haste, a message of hope, of the kingdom of God coming and God stepping into life. And that's what you find in these. And then Israel kind of moves on. And Ezekiel is a very important one. Ezekiel 34, we're going to read it. It's a lovely passage. It tells us of the failure of all the leaders of Israel who looked out for themselves and who killed God's messengers, Allah, Herod, the Tetrach, killing John the Baptist. He's, he's the foil against which God is saying, I'm looking for a leader who will really care for my people. And every leader is looking out for only himself. He fleeces the flock. He indulges in a lifestyle that suits him. And here Jesus comes in that same story. And Jesus says, I will feed my people. I will welcome them. I will care for them. I love them. And that is described in Ezekiel chapter 11 uh, to 16 and then 22. God says, I will Call my people. He's just called them. I will heal my people. He's just healed them. I will feed my people. And he's just fed them. You see what he's saying? Ezekiel says, God is going to come himself to do it. And then in verse 22, God is going to come himself in David. And if you know your history, Ezekiel is about 500 years after David was already dead. So that's the promise of the Messiah that he will come. And Christ comes and he fulfills all of that reality, showing that he is actually God, Messiah. He is a divine Messiah that comes and fulfills every single thing that God has promised. He is healing, teaching, feeding his sheep, caring for them. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And that's why, in one sense, the conclusion can only be that he is not just a great prophet, but you've got to work it out yourself. That he's more than a great prophet coming back from the dead. He just doesn't have superhuman powers. This is God, the Messiah. That's the right conclusion. And you need to know who he is before you can actually follow him. Because the next story is going to become so disillusioning that if you don't know who you're speaking to, that this is God speaking, you will actually say, what he's saying is insane. I will not follow this Messiah unless he is God. See why that's so important? We'll see that next week. This Messiah is saying, I am got God's agenda. And Luke is going to change quite radically from now on. 
all the trappings of power is going to start to disappear. And all the weakness and the shadow of death, Herod just killed the last prophet of God, is starting to hang over Jesus' life. God's Messiah is going to become weak and frail unto death. That's where the story is going. If you don't know who he is, will you follow him? Because that is not normal and natural. To aim for death. To aim for weakness. To aim for losing. So that you may win. You see why this is so important? It's really shocking. You've got to get this. Who is this who's going to speak from now on? He is not just going to tell us interesting stories. It is God, the Messiah, who is going to start to tell us what do we need if we are ever going to experience the true exodus that this is just a picture of, a reenactment of. And we'll see that in the next two weeks, how he unpacks that for us. All right, you got it? So here's the thing I want you to hear. If you do not know, if you are not convinced that Jesus is God's Messiah, then keep on reading. All right. If you bump into people and they don't know who Jesus is, Help them to read the facts and show them why some of the conclusions that people reach does not take into account all the facts that we actually have. That's all you can do. And pray for them. Like Jesus is praying that whenever anybody hears this message, they may make the right deductions and they may come and confess him as God's Messiah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that is a little bit hard, a little bit removed from us in one sense. We all know this in one sense. We've all heard this so many times. But we thank you that you actually invite us to come in to a conclusion based on the reality that there are many other voices out there that try and explain Jesus away. We thank you that we don't have to be surprised that people don't get it. Well, we don't even get it. Lord, it's so hard to read and to hear because we want to connect dots the way we want to connect them. We are so thankful that Jesus is driving and connecting the dots for us so that we may understand and know who he is. Thank you that he is your Messiah. Thank you that he is coming to this world and he will welcome and heal and feed and care for every single person that comes to him. Thank you that in him we have received every single thing we need for life and for godliness, for all eternity, because he is your Messiah. So Lord, we come and we ask that you will help us. If we doubt, help us to keep on working Let us even cry out to you. Thank you that you pray for us. Thank you that you pray for us when we take your word out to others who may be confused about who you are, who've come to superficial and wrong conclusions, and we don't have to fight, we can invite and present them with the glory of your Son. So thank you for this lesson, Lord, that you yourself, through your Son, actually made yourself vulnerable. Who do people say I am, and who do you say I am? 
Thank you that that is the question that you have answered for us this morning. Pray that we will slow down and think through why that is the right answer. So we pray, Lord, that you will equip us to trust you, to follow in your footsteps, because it's going to get dark and narrow from now on. And it is not going to be a nice message of a kingdom that will come with power as we read power. So, Father, help us to become completely convinced about your Son, your Messiah, the one that you love. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this challenge. Thank you for this opportunity. And we praise your name. Amen.